Hello everyone and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do? I'm Gaz and normally my co-host Baz would be here as well but he's on his holiday so we've got in a stunt Baz once more. Good friend of the show, author of the Burn After Running blog, it is Mr Guy Milner. How are you doing Guy? I'm doing very well, yeah. Glad to be back here. The complaints obviously died down since last time so it's... Uh... That's right, most of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Get those started again. That'd be good. <laughs> yeah, get some engagement. That's what we like. Hearing, hearing from our lovely listeners. <laughs> hashtag engagement is what it's all about. That's right, yeah. 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 <laughs> to go with our hashtag content. Uh, so, this time I figured we might delve into investigations as, apart from anything else, you're running a game of Vesson for us uh, periodically on a Sunday. Yeah. But there's many of us out there. And something else I noticed on Twitterland was um, like a little... A group of things like these people tempted every now going name your seven games of this particular type and one of the ones that came up for the horror games all the time was uh, or even investigative was Call of Cthulhu and I thought is it though is it a good horror investigative <laughs> game I and mean, there's plenty more out there so probably worth a while digging through some of those and, and some of the other experiences we've had uh, recently and over the years so I guess first of all Although some people unfairly, I think, say that Vesson is something like uh, a Swedish Call of Cthulhu set in Victoria <laughs> times, and so there's like a shorthand yeah. because it's a horror game. How would you compare that? What, what's your feelings for running Vesson? What would you think about the investigative element of the game, and, and what does it bring to the table? So I think the, um, I mean, we can dig into Call of Cthulhu later, but I think what makes it distinct from a game like Call of Cthulhu is. It's really similar, as you would expect, because it's the same system, to Tales from Loop, Things to the Flood, in that it's got a really structured way that an investigation goes. Hmm. So partly because it's a sort of flowchart of locations around a town, and you find clues, and there's a little countdown of stuff that will happen if you don't solve it, and it will drive towards a confrontation with whatever vason, whatever mythical creature is um, bedeviling the town. And then you'll kind of all pack up and go back and do it but even in play it ends up being quite that that sequence really helps to 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 get as we're in i think the third or fourth session now like there's a proper rhythm to it and i can feel like the players know what's coming up and know what's going on and like oh we get to the town we know that it's not gonna be massively dangerous straight away so normally you'll like split up and yeah. someone will go to the tavern and someone will go to the church and you'll kind of assemble the clues that way i i found that um, way a lot easier to run in terms of how it supports investigative play hmm. in that like there's clues you can find anywhere there's clues you can find in certain places there's a little countdown of stuff that will happen if the players don't sort of um, don't take action or sometimes will happen anyway um, so you can look to that whenever kind of the pace goes down you say, oh, I'll just trigger the next bit on the countdown and see what happens and it all sort of snowballs towards the the, the final confrontation with it. I mean, I don't know what what's your experience. I know you've 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 run Vaison as well, but you're playing it at the mo at the moment as well. So is that yeah, a fair yeah. is that a fair kind of summary of it? Yeah, I think that's very much. It. I mean, our players that we've got are very proactive anyway. So yeah. regardless of what we're playing, we'll go and like punch things until we get clues out of them and that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's a very good point you make about it. Is that it's got the countdown element as well. That things will escalate or it becomes more obvious that something's wrong as time goes on. If you don't do anything, or even if you do, as you say, like things just start escalating towards ahead. And I think that it do, that sort of thing does give you like um, a feeling of progression or like you're getting somewhere, yeah, even yeah. if you've got clues that aren't immediately obvious what it will mean at the end. You do get a feeling of momentum and like you are gathering evidence or you're, you're like 
going down certain routes, even if you don't quite know what the end goal is, you, yeah. you know that you're progressing somewhere and you're achieving things. I think it also helps a bit for, um, I, I nearly said immersion there, but verisimilitude might, might be the word that I'm reaching for. Um, in terms of, like, you go to a village where, I don't know, people are being kidnapped and disappearing at the mountains. Having a countdown means that that will happen. Like, like while you're there, mm-hmm. that keeps going on and it keeps getting worse. So it, it provides that sort of, like, yeah, you need to actually do something. Like, it, that you're not just coming into a, a, a kind of frozen situation that isn't going to evolve. Um, some of the published adventures do a, one of the things that's and one of the things really good in the advice is that like it's not like you just use a set of players sit around and do nothing like the first countdown often happens pretty soon after you arrive so like the first night like this happens someone rolls a massive boulder in a town or whatever the, the the fairies go after this industrialist and kill him and you find his body in the town square so it it, it prevents that thing that i think i think i've somehow sometimes had in cthulhu games where you do a bit of an investigation and you kind of exhaust all your leads, and you think, well, we'll we'll just kind of sit around and wait wait for another clue to yeah. happen because we can't think of anything else to do. We'll wait until someone else dies, and then then they might tell us something kind of thing. <laughs> there might be something on the body with anyone. Yeah, yeah, find out who killed it, and that might like tracks or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's very true. And a lot of investigative games I've played in do tend to have this kind of like, oh, here's a long black story of what's happened before the players got involved. And they're not of a massive amount actually actively happening during the session. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that I think that the Vesta style game is a lot better for like here's a here's an info dump for the gym of what's been going on. But then now I'm firing a starter pistol and more stuff's going to happen when the players get involved. Yeah. And that's more of like the treadmill still moving rather than the treadmill's kind of grind to a halt by the time the players get there and have to sort of hand crank it themselves to move along towards the end goal. Completely. Yeah. I mean, th- there is still a bit of that. I I still find it a little bit weird when you you kind of read published adventures and the first like there's two pages of backstory that begins like 300 years ago this happened I'm like, oh, i don't like i don't even as a gm like i do have to read this bit like is it really important or can we just like cut to the chase and do it because i think i think this is one of the things with investigative games isn't it that if that's important then it's part of what you need to discover during the game mm. and so i'm always like well how how are they going to find out about this as players is it going to be important is it going to matter to the actual end goal of the scenario or is it just is it just literally fluff and i don't know if i think it's more common in published adventures and i think that might be a published adventure thing that there's a need to be quite writerly about it as well as having a scenario you can run yeah you want to kind of set the scene a bit more in a written adventure i think people expect to kind of have some background or story or something but yeah i think it's definitely limited it doesn't have to be as extensive as some people make it i would argue yeah. So there's um there's a bunch of other games we were playing as well. Mentioned shall we dive into Call of Cthulhu now before we get going on all the other stuff just to get the shuggoth out of the room or whatever yeah. out into the room conversation we're gonna try and <laughs> that sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean I, I would say in terms of Call of Cthulhu I, I ran Call of Cthulhu for the first time um last year after realising I really should do it. And I I don't know, I I'm not I think it went well as a as a game, but the the module that I picked had a particular issue with investigative games in that all the investigation that you did didn't really help in the final encounter. So yeah. it was kind of, oh, there was a really good inciting incident. You did some kind of legwork and padding around and so on, and then went to the facility and then went around this scary facility and the middle bit needn't have happened. Like all the stuff you found <laughs> out was just like, this facility is probably really dangerous. And guess what? It, it, it was. I, I think 
<laughs> I've had similar experiences when I've played in Call of Cthulhu games as well, and I think I think that I'm sure that it can be structured really, really well, but I think the lack of an explicit structure sometimes holds it back a bit in terms of in, in some of the ways that I've seen it that I've, that I've seen it run. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and I think there's um there's a couple of skills of thought around it, aren't there? There's there's like Robin Laws has made or made the gumshoe system to fix a yep. problem, which he says definitely exists because people keep coming to conventions <laughs> and telling me it exists. Yes. And I think perhaps you're right. Certainly I would say like it doesn't necessarily exist per se. It's just the way some scenarios are written or the way some keepers run the games that mean it exists when it doesn't necessarily have to. So I don't think that's necessarily Call of Cthulhu's point, uh, fault. Yeah, but yeah, the problem is that Call of Cthulhu itself doesn't provide you necessarily with the structure of how to have an investigation. There's kind of some notes in the book now, and you can use scenarios for examples, and depending on which one you pick, that could be good or bad. But there's nothing mechanically really that's helping you with an investigation. So it's, I, I don't think it, it's really an investigative game, even though that's what most of the scenarios are about and the default setting. And the, you know, the characters are called investigators. Compared to a lot of the more um, like modern small press or other games that have dedicated mechanics for finding clues out or yeah. making sure you get things. He doesn't really have any of that. It's quite hoves quite close to the old, you know, system from forty years ago or whatever that's basically BRP with some bells and whistles on. Yeah, I, I mean I, I, I wonder if I if I head off the, the complaints coming in again, that we may be being a little bit we're talking about the whole oeuvre of Call of Cthulhu. And yes. you do see a lot of old classic scenarios run and a lot of games run in the old classic style and I, I think what I've seen of some of the new stuff is a lot more um, focused and designed to, to avoid that and I, I picked up the other day is it Gateways of I'm going to get the name wrong now it's going to be a really bad product placement Gateways to Terror I think which is three one hour one shots for Call of Cthulhu which right. does, does which actually they do a really good job of modelling what investigation looks like when like the first one is Right, you've just you're in the pyramid. You've just got through into like the burial chamber. Like it starts then, and then the, yeah, the stone yeah. block falls behind you. It does a really good job of modelling sort of what's investigative about that, and how how do you find the clues in that little area? If you mm. see what I mean. And I think yes, yeah. certainly I've I've heard really good things about some of the new um, campaigns and stuff that they've put out in terms of advice to keepers and the ways that they've presented it. I I, I think. Whether whether all keepers will follow that advice is is another well, matter. Um, I'd but suggest yeah. maybe not all of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I know that Mike and uh, Paul, who wrote the, the latest edition of Cthulhu, are, are big fans of doing it properly, so yeah, to speak, and yeah. you know, getting the scenario right and getting the keeper with the right mindset and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, no slight on them at all. Uh, I think really just what I'm saying there is that even with all that, there's nothing in the system that necessarily helps you uh, and there's yeah. a big argument about whether system matters and whether you even need to have mechanical help in the system and whether that guides play or not but that's that's for a separate podcast um, but I think Colocal is still strong, I think partly possibly part of this reason is that they've got all the old campaigns keep coming out and people keep yeah, going yeah. back over the old ones so the, the are of the time, I think we noticed this when I ran some Pendragon for you as well that I was doing yeah. some of the classic scenarios but they required some work as we went along because <laughs> yeah, yeah. the core conceits were great, the ideas were good, you know there's some strong characters but they were just written in a certain way that we've moved on from a little bit or there's there's more tech available to you now that there perhaps wasn't 
when gaming first started back in the yeah. day. Yeah, I mean, I think I think with it was things like, and this again is an investigative thing. I remember there was one session of Pendragon where I think we did like a bunch of encounters in one sequence, and then hmm. the expectation of the game was that you'd go back and do them in a reverse sequence. And that's, Several times. Yeah. That, that's just because like <laughs> that. That's because that sort of flash forward wasn't a thing. Like that in game, right? Let's just fast forward all of this because we don't need to. And I think I think sometimes that applies in investigative games as well, where mm. you know the bit where you all meet and you know go for lunch and talk about what's happening and then wander around the block and then like all of that stuff where you're not actually finding out clues, you're just like existing and waiting for something to happen. Like fast forward through that and just get to the bit where you're you know booting down the door of the office and searching the filing cabinet and. Oh, is that something outside? You know, that just put a bit of kind of peril in it. That the sort of non-investigative, just day-to-day stuff. I, I think in investigative games you don't need that because you're not all action all the time. You don't need that that pause as much. If that makes I sense, think, I think. I, I think so. Yeah, I think in many ways it's a little bit like uh, me and Baz are discussing about playing D and D or something where. Like start at the dungeon. You don't need to have yeah, like the yeah. guy in a tavern telling you, and then you go shopping, and then you have to like navigate through some swamps. It's like just be there at the dungeon entrance or something, or like part way through it, and that's where the campaign is going to start. So yeah, shortcutting through stuff that's boring and getting to interesting things, I think, is just something that can happen more often. I think where investigative games can fall down a little bit, or where it's prone to it, is that people are constantly looking for what other clues there might be and trying to make sure they've not missed something. So yeah, if you're in the yeah. dark woods and you find a glove, it's like, oh, glove, right, oh, is there another glove? Perhaps there's a body here. Are there any fingerprints? <laughs> are there any footprints? Are there shoes? And then before you know it, like players are, are like constantly like pulling the clue lever trying to find I look behind. Things. I look behind the other tree and, and the other tree. Yes. I look behind the bush now. I'll, uh, yeah, what's on the Can other I have side of the path? I've got, I've got a better spot hidden. I'll have a look. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. Part of that does behave the DM to kind of go like, no, you've done it now. That, that's all there is here. Or even the scenario not to have useless clues that will make sense in four hours' time, but right now don't go anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a general thing about investigative games that that I think vase and structure makes really explicit, but that I think should for, for me should just be done anyway, which is like flag where you can find stuff out and sort of flag clues. Um, mm. So like so like you arrive in the stick with vase and you arrive in the isolated village to try and find out where people are going missing. And like say, okay, you go in. There's an old tumble-down church. There's a tavern. There are still some people in there. There are some lights going down. Oh, and there are some. There's a strange stone circle on the hill, and some people are there. Like, okay, there's three places you can go to. Hmm. Um, it's not for the players to go. Oh, I'll go and try and find a general store. Like that. That's not like actually flag the options that they've got and try and avoid the just wandering around. And and again, it's like when you found out the stuff when you've got what you're going to find out do it i know robin laws talks about using the uh like law and order end of scene thing yeah. in uh east of terrorists when they found all the clues in that scene and like do it as explicitly as that like right yeah you you've got it now you've done this bit you don't need to keep looking behind trees for another glove or whatever there's not gonna be anything else just you don't need to do it in character just let them move on and let them yeah. find other stuff because the pace pace is harder to bring if the players are, oh, but what about this? And what about this? And what about this? You know, mm-hmm. just drive it a little bit faster, I think. Is, yeah, definitely. definitely. And uh, Well, we were playing some Deadlands last night. I, I played the published scenario. I'm running it. I, I cut some bits out, and I wish I'd cut more like, when we actually started <laughs> playing it. But that's, that, that sort of thing where you, you should point out where the, the rooms are almost, where the clues are. It feels like a video game. And there's, if you're walking through a town, there'll be some doors that you know your character can't open. 
Only other doors that are a slightly different colour, that you know, yeah. they're ones you can actually open up and have a look inside. So yeah. it needs a bit of that. You know, it lists about, I don't know, nine or ten locations of the town, but three or four of them have, you know, Jeff the barber. And, 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 <laughs> yeah. and, the, and the description is Jeff has no useful information or something. And you're like, well, why, why have you written him down? Because there's 200 other buildings in this place. He didn't write them down who had that no interesting information. Yeah. So, I think, yeah. I mean, I think, I think some of that is, is VTT as well, isn't it? And I should yeah. probably point out to listeners that me and Gaz do play games with other people. That does happen as well. It just happens that we have a lot of examples where we're in the same game. That I think because like we go into the town and there's a setup with these eight places are on Roll20. Um, because they've got names and there are names of NPCs and there's a little picture of them you think oh they must be important like they yeah. must know something otherwise the GM's not going to have like gone on Photoshop and got that picture for them and made that if they'd know nothing but but the flip side of that having like a go to the village there's only three places and only four NPCs feels a bit weird as well so it's how you direct players towards the interesting stuff mm. while not making it really obvious and it I, I guess it is it's like that video game thing where you you know you're in Assassin's Creed or something you go into the village and you've got to investigate something and there's loads of people there but there's four or five of them that have got little speech bubbles above their heads that you can actually talk to um, and even though some of them will say oh no go away I'm not talking to you like you don't have to go around all 20 people <laughs> you That's can right. go down yeah. the ones that are important and are interesting and will provide kind of a clue to, to get you going from there yeah, I do get a little bit disappointed in Assassin's Creed and stuff when I go to someone and they look, and they look interesting and it just says generic villager or whatever. You're like, oh, that's a shame. <laughs> yeah. And I try and get them to speak to me anyway, but they don't have anything to say. That, that's, that, that's pretty much what should happen in the role-playing game as well, right? Like, yeah. I think as a gym, sometimes you can get sucked into trying to have like an in-character conversation with players when they talk to someone innocuous. But yeah. if, if you lean into that too much, if you, if you have just some random person saying too much to the players, they'll start to give them a personality and they'll become more solid and they'll feel like there's something they should know and yeah. you know, you, they can yeah. sort of like latch onto someone a bit too much. Yeah, I mean, by all means, I suppose the thing to do is like next session, have the dragon kidnap them. Like, yeah, they've got the tailor with the funny accent that you <laughs> yeah. like talking to so much for like half an hour while we should have been doing the plot. But yeah, because you wasted a lot of time, now they're gone and you actually care about him because, like, you know, turn it to your own advantage. I mean, I think, I, I do think we're talking about investigative games a bit as like the kind of go to a town and wander around clues. I, I think there's there's a bit of a, a level about how you find clues in them sometimes. And I think mm. I think the action scene clue is quite a powerful tool to use. So, you know, you, you, you get jumped by bandits or whatever and find a weird symbol of a cult on them that's the same as you found. And, you know, having, just because it's a chase scene or a fight or some other sort of action-y thing that you've got to do, like that can be a source of clues as well. I, yes. I went through a, a phase of, of running what, what I would call like the, um, the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes like investigative <laughs> game where, where, I don't, where if you've seen the film, like it's literally like, right, I'll investigate this. I'll go here, get in a fight with some people and then learn some more and I'll go down to the docks and someone else will try to kill me and I'll learn a clue. And like that's one extreme, but it, yeah. it, it's both things, isn't it? Have, have your action scenes feed into clues as well as the going around and talking to people and getting them kind of getting information directly from them that that's yes. quite a powerful thing as well to improve both your investigation and your action scenes yeah definitely i mean there's definitely something to be said for like having clues thrown at players sometimes even when they've not asked for one necessarily yeah, definitely yeah. so like just have falling out of the back of lorries that speed past or whatever it might be there's things that you can give them and i think that's probably one piece of advice i give a lot of people on, on investigative games is like don't try too hard to hold on to information 
know, yeah, a- avoid definitely. avoid red herrings and avoid clinging onto stuff too too much because while it'll seem obvious from you behind the gem screen probably for players quite often they can't see the the links that you make or the, yeah, like, it, it's yeah. just not obvious. I so generally you, think you don't need to worry about red herrings. Like your players will supply those yourself that they will yes. immediately come yeah. up with their own theories that are wrong so yeah, just yeah. don't yeah don't worry about those at all really and yeah throw clues out like confetti is is, is the thing i think a, a, a thing that personally i find quite difficult in when i'm in games and i it's really hard habit to get out of that thing where you're talking to an npc and it's like or you can tell they're holding something back and it's just really frustrating like as a player you're like yeah. well, well what what are they holding back and <laughs> like, like Okay, they're suspicious. (laughs) Well, I'll keep talking to them then. Or like, you know, yeah, that kind of clues that aren't actually clues that are like, oh, they all seem suspicious. The villagers all look weird. Like, okay, well, what? That doesn't lead anywhere. Like, have a specific thing. Like, they all look weird and you overhear them talking about going to the old mill at midnight tonight for the um, ceremony. That's maybe laying it on a bit too thick. But that that kind of thing, like have have some action that follows from it, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't mind a little bit of scene setting, but like you say, once once you're in like the third tavern or whatever, <laughs> yeah. and everyone's got like watery fish eyes and blubbery lips and don't like strangers, it's kind yeah. of like... everyone's weird in here too. Like it's funny, yes. <laughs> like the whole town must have something going on. Yeah, <laughs> almost. But no one will speak to us, and they all close ranks and don't say anything. <laughs> it's like, oh well. I guess we'll wait till someone in the party gets kidnapped then and take her from there. I guess. Don't you? That you want? You wait until the town drunk shows up and over. In the original source material, in, in Innsmouth, right. yeah, the town drunk shows up and over about 10 pages gives you the entire story of the, of the, of the town <laughs> in, in, a, in a really like thick accent and then, then you just try and escape that. That's it. So, then run away. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose that that's, it, without, while, while we're mocking that, I suppose that's the point as well. Like, don't have just one NPC show up and tell you everything that's going on. Info dump, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> spread it out a bit and don't, you know, and don't just make someone show up and say, oh yeah, actually it's this. Like, you can have breakthroughs, you can have like moments of revelation, but don't have someone show up and join all the pieces together in one place. Like, spread it out amongst people, let players have a bit of thought about it and have your safety net of like stuff happening that will make stuff obvious if you need it to when it, when that happens. Yeah, 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 for sure. So one of the sort of like spin-offs from Call of Duty, because there have been several now, but um, one of the things that was solving a problem, as Robin Laws put it, was uh, first of all, he's a terrorist, and it became Gumshoe, and yeah. there's lots of us are now now black agents and stuff like that. Uh, now it's black agents even. And so I find the system a little bit too light in that there's kind of a point economy, so you can make spends to automatically yeah, get clues yeah. at certain points to avoid failing rolls and not getting any clues and that kind of thing, which is arguably just bad scenario design or GMs. But like the the main sort of action thing you do is roll a d6 and try and get a four plus, and you can spend some points to change that number. That feels a little bit light, but uh, NBA stuff have extra bits about heat and other things that like add to the investing yeah. side. So what do you reckon about those sort of games? Well, I think, I mean, the first thing that I'd say is I think the a, a common argument is from Call of Cthulhu Keepers saying that it solved a problem that wasn't a problem with experienced keepers. And I, I don't think that's fair. I think it was a problem. And I've played in games where that was a problem, where like we all failed spot hidden, so we didn't see the thing, or we didn't persuade, and so we just waited around and waited, waited for clues. That, that thing it is a bit like just hand clues out. Um, and, and the whole thing about if you've got the clue, you get it. it gives, if you've got the skill, you get it. it. It does give, 
like in play, it does give a, a really nice feeling of competence, even mm. though it's a little bit like, well, one of us will have astronomy. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, it's you guys. Yeah, you notice that this star chart is upside down and there's like an inverted crucifix on it or something. Like that, it, as a player, you think, oh, yeah, that's good. My character's really good at astronomy. And it's nice to get that without rolling a dice or, or whatever. Um, mm. I, think, I think the system is quite light. Um, I've played, I think Knights Black Agents adds some really nice tweaks to the system. Um, and so things like things like the chase um, system, because it's like a bidding mechanic. It's like how much will you invest on each round and stuff works really well. Um, but yeah, I think for me, like the Trail of Cthulhu on its own is a little bit rules light and sort of rules like trad, if that's not being unfair to it. Like if yeah, I wanted maybe. to play yeah. rules light, I'd play Cthulhu Hack or um, like Inspectors or a game that's rules light and also has fewer than 30 skills kind of thing yeah, yeah, like, yeah. so I don't need to worry about like who's got astronomy and who's got astrology like I can just I mean I, I am aware they're mentally different and they're prob probably one skill wouldn't cover both of those but you get the idea you've got like a, mm -hmm. a few different skills you've got a science skill rather than a botany and a biology and a chemistry one yeah, that people have yeah. to do yeah that's definitely to my taste um, yeah so I, I quite like a thing like that as well I think that's for the way that quite a lot of people uh, play and run Call of Cthulhu in that they'll talk about having great sessions where they hardly roll yeah, the dice yeah. kind of thing um, I'm, I'm with you on that, that if you don't want to roll dice that much or you think that the system's not, well maybe not getting in the way but not particularly helping either yeah. then certainly something like Cthulhu Hack works quite well it's really like it's based on the Black Hack uh, originally a D&D game uh, and you just have um, is it like smokes and flashlights I think you get yeah yeah uh, and like a usage dice so when you're trying to like talk to someone or like get clues out of people you can just spend some smokes so you share a cigarette with them kind of thing is the uh, the idea uh, and then flashlights similarly if you're rooting around in a basement looking for clues or something like that then you get your flashlights out uh, so each player's kind of got like a diminishing resource for one of two approaches to getting clues yeah. and the idea is that They'll they'll degrade to the point of view where when they're almost out that you should kind of come to the culmination of the scenario. Yeah, and I think for me that because it sort of is the same thing as Gumshoe in that you've got a resource that diminishes, but I prefer the right. I'll I'll use flashlights to do this, and I might degrade a die size to I'll spend a point on this investigative skill to get an extra clue, and it'll definitely go down by one. So my skill's now one, and I can do it once more. Like it adds a little extra element of, I don't know, like chance. And I suppose the thing is as well, you've got smokes and flashlights, so that's that's two skills effectively, isn't it? That you're using mm -hmm. rather than thirty. So yes. you don't need to worry about is anyone going to know this? Is anyone going to be able to fast talk this person well enough? Well, they will. It's a question of will their smokes dice degrade? Like, yes. will they have to expend resources to do it, or will it just happen? So mm -hmm. yeah, Cthulhu hacks good. And Cthulhu, I would say as well, Cthulhu hacks got some really good published scenarios for it that. That really lean into that um, that approach and do some really nice things with the system. Um, really evocative. Paul's got some good people doing those. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, of course, Paul Bardowski, a good friend of the show. Uh, we played actually at I think it was a Crack and I played a game of it was, I think it was the Wendigo scenario. It was one of those kind oh, of yeah. things, or Wendigo as Phil likes to call it. That's which is now the official pronunciation itself. Yep. So if you see Paul at convention, call it Wendigo. He loves that. Uh, but yeah, we, he, the GM just reskinned it for Warhammer Forty Thousand, and we're Imperial Guardsmen on like a nice planet. But the yeah. the scenario worked perfectly fine because the system's like quite light, and there's only one or two things you're trying to do really most of the time, and you're worried about things running out. Like it just worked. You can you yeah. can put whatever flavor you want around it. I think that's the benefit of it. 
Whereas um, it might be a little bit more difficult with a more complex system to dress it up definitely, in a different yeah, way. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I mean I think I suppose I suppose we should probably, if we're talking rules light, we should talk about like whole different approaches to investigative games that are a little bit more, I suppose, player narrative driven mm. that have come out. So I suppose Inspectors is a good example of one where you have it's sort of light-hearted, sort of Ghostbusters style yeah. investigation, but you have a pool of dice. And the way the system works, the highest dice roll that you get determines who has narrative control. So if you like get a six on your highest dice as a player, you get to describe where the tracks lead or what's happening. So as a, as a GM, when you're running it, you'll have a rough idea of what the sort of inciting incident is and what the like monster might be for it. But then you kind of have to leave it open in the hands of the players. Now, it, I'm aware that's something that some players hate. <laughs> like, <laughs> the idea that the GM doesn't have the answers... Yeah. can be a like really difficult situation for some players to be in. So obviously flag that at the start and be like, really clear, I don't know how this is going to end. You need to like bring it to it. But it, in play, it does give a really exciting sort of everyone building on everyone's other ideas and uh, new clues coming out and, and, and putting out. It's a, certainly a different way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, so that that is definitely a mind shift, isn't it? That <laughs> yeah, yeah. As soon as, like for certainly for some people, as soon as you say to them, like you've got to tell me what the mystery is, that's just an instant turn off so <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not for everyone not for everyone um i suppose and i suppose the step a step back from that is uh brindlewood bay yeah i was just gonna bring that up which yeah which is so first of all the the setup is you are you play sort of murder she wrote elderly widows in the book club that end up solving murders mm-hmm. so already the settings really 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 solid there's um and but the way that the investigation works is as you go around and investigate stuff, you accumulate clues. So and when you run it as an MC, you have a list of clues that you will just hand out when they make their investigative moves um, that are fairly loose. So it might be um, a letter changing the signatory on a will, and you won't specify who it's changed or who's written it. It might be um, a wanted sign because a dog's been stolen. Um, you know, it could be anything. Um, and you accumulate these clues, and then when the when the mavens, when the when the players all come around and try and work out who the murderer is, there's a move that they make where they it's powered by the apocalypse. It's a two d six move system. They they kind of add the number of clues they've got. So they, they come up with a theory as to who they think has done it, and then they roll a dice, make that move, and then depending on how that goes, if they get a ten or higher, then like they they've got it right and can get there in time and get the person like apprehended by the police. If it's a miss, they've got it wrong. They need to do more legwork. Like somebody else might get knocked off by them and seven to nine it's sort of they've got one opportunity but it might be it might be dangerous they might have to sacrifice stuff um and that that's a really nice middle ground in play because Mm. you've still got the just say what your character's doing just play your character the clues themselves are supplied by the gm so players don't have to come up with oh i don't know where the world's tracks lead like i don't know um but that theorised that bit where and a bit where often in an investigative game it's a little bit disappointing because I can sometimes be sat there as a GM where the players are trying to decide what's going on and you have that thing where they cut, they go completely down the wrong down the wrong route and it get, get it completely wrong you, you kind of don't want to step in but then yeah. at some point you might have to because you're like well are they going to end up like burning down the church and that's that's not right or is it do i change you know do i change <laughs> yeah, yeah. my prep because that's that's a really good idea i hadn't thought of that um it, it makes that like the centerpiece of the mystery and the theorizing and then working out what the what the problem is is part of it 
Um, so yeah, it works really well in play. Brilliant game. And there's, I think The Between has just come out, which is that same sort of system for like Victorian Monster Hunters. Um, by the same that guy. might be more of my speed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think playing Miss Marple's not really my... <laughs> my men go to I'd say like as a one shot I've run it at cons twice now and it is it's as straightforward as like D&D because playing like old ladies investigating murders like it's a really easy genre to get into because everyone's watched Murder She Wrote like yeah. you don't have to explain anything like, it's basically Murder She Wrote like, alright okay I'll do that like, okay, yeah I think what's that um, oh, there was uh, a couple of TV series I mean it might have been three series set in Victorian London and it had Timothy Dalton in, and I think Eva Green as well. Penny Dreffel, was that it? I think that's the explicit like inspiration for the between. So I think it is right. Yeah, like that's yeah, yeah. the the sort of main thing for yeah. So it's that kind of thing. The system will be identical and all the rest of it to Brindle with it. I just think I'd like that more because it's got better flavour. I'm like <laughs> this with board games as well. Like I'm sure Costa Rica's brilliant. I just don't want to play a game about making coffee beans. I want castles or dragons <laughs> in it or something. It could be the exact same real system. But with a wizard's hat on, and I like it more. Well, if, I mean, there's quite a bit more complexity in the between as well because you've got actual playbooks because you're not all elderly widows, so there's a bit more to it. <laughs> but, you know, so there's a bit more crunch to it as well in a in a in a cool, cool way as well. Yeah, I, I hope you still can be an elderly widow. I hope they kept that through line through. I thought that's <laughs> yeah. one of the playbooks. But yeah, yeah a, a, another system that um, I've only played once or twice: City of Mists, which is kind of yeah. a superhero investigators. That's got a similar sort of thing that you accumulate clues by doing moves. Yeah, and then your clues are kind of generic, um, but you can spend them then to get stuff that you want. And I think that's a bit more interesting than having a clue which gives an answer. So if you're yeah, in, you yeah. know investigating Innsmouth or whatever, and someone says, "Oh, there's some letter mentioning Dagon," you can actually spend the clue to say, "Well, who is Dagon then?" and get the GM yeah. to tell you the answer yeah. and that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, I like that kind of halfway house of like we've got a resource of stuff to spend on things. Can I have something meaningful back when I ask questions? but yeah. don't necessarily give the entire answer or make me come up with myself, that, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think it's... And I think that's what's sometimes tricky about running investigative games, that it does... Like, you've still got to get all the locations, all the NPCs, all the monsters, all the stuff that you would get to. If, you, if you're running, like, I don't know, vanilla D&D, all that stuff's got to be there. And then you've also got to have in your head like what's actually happened, what the, yeah. you know, how the clues fit together what other things can do and it's a bit like sort of juggling a few different things i've i've run a couple of times the um gumshoe one one-on-one um game so cthulhu confidential and knights black agents i've run that play knights black agents solo ops um and they are explicitly to make it easier to run there there's loads and loads of support so you're not having to make stuff up when there's just two of you doing it but mm. But that means there's a lot of stuff that you have to read and absorb, and it's presented in a really, really easy to kind of present way. And every scene, it tells you what scene it could lead to. But I still felt like it was like the most prep I'd done for a session of gaming in some time, <laughs> just from reading it. And that thing about yeah. you know, I had to read it all, and then I had to read it again, and then I had to just get my head around what clues would fit where. Um, yeah, you do. Investigative games do require that sort of extra level of knowing what's going on and knowing what's mm. going on behind the scene as well as the what's in front of the players and what they're thinking about. Yes, but well, even like timelines and stuff like that. I mean, the number of times I've been in a game when it's sort of like, oh, when did, uh, when did your sister go missing? You say, oh, I don't know, a couple of days ago. It's like, oh, right, well, that guy was still wasn't yeah. in jail then, so he might have done it. It's like, oh, no. Well, yeah. I meant, I meant like, like, this wasn't meant to be I meant four days ago. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly it is, no, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, definitely yeah, the start. <laughs> can be a bit of an exam as a, as a general that you've got all your ducks in a row because some players will go down to the nth detail to track it down like they're, uh, I don't know, CSI yeah. Bradford or whatever. <laughs> Put you on the spot and be like, oh no. <laughs> but you said, I think you'll find, <laughs> pulling out a little police notebook and leaping through the nuts. It's definitely, it's definitely one of those games where I've done it before. Where you, you know, you get an NPC's name wrong or something, yeah. and then everyone around the table is like, "Ah, it was her." You're like, "No, no, no, it wasn't." Like, and you feel the kind of proper shame of like, "Oh no, I've got it wrong. I've actually spoiled it by making a really easy mistake." It's uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. hard to do it. I think. Yeah, it's tough. It's how much of a, an investigation do you want to make, it, isn't it? Because I think this is one of the things that Basil mentioned before that he finds uh, takes him out of investigative games or why he doesn't like it so much is that. Certainly when there are clues or things to like work out or you've been given handouts maybe that have got like you know, a bunch of text on that players will try and leak through yeah. and pick clues out and stuff. He always feels like it stops him being a character who's an investigator and he becomes Bowser yeah. who's an investigator trying to work out puzzles. And he wants to be in the game doing cool stuff with the character. So that's that's a bit of a break. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that or anything that might help. I mean, I think I think it's a valid it's a valid thing and certainly when you start to piece clues together, it's it's really easy to get into like right we're solving the jigsaw now like forget about this i suppose ways i suppose ways to try and avoid that in prep are things like having clues emerge from npcs that actually role playing character if you see what i mean like not having great big yeah i just find like if it's a handout with loads and loads of text on like a massive info dump that you then put on the table you know, one player reads it out or whatever. That that takes everyone out of the out of the, the zone because suddenly you're all sat around a table at a con while somebody's reading out the lovingly crafted tea stained like scroll that you've done. Like I I'm not a fan of those. I tend to be right, you find a letter. It says this, this and this. That also means you can take out all the red herrings that they'll draw loads of illusions from. But yeah, yeah. having having I suppose modelling it as a gym is having stuff ha- happening character helps. And I suppose having the countdown of what's happening so not not always like the players knowing they don't always have time to sit around and think yeah. oh maybe it was him in the <laughs> living room with a candlestick or maybe it was that what do we think about that like have the guys with guns come through the door at that point and mm. just you know if 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 it's i think you have that kind of pacing thing again which again we're talking about structure that basically thing helps with that like you probably do want a kind of right what's going on here theorize bit and in Riddlewood Bay, like that's a move that happens right before the last scene of the game. That's just about where it should happen in most investigative games. And if it starts to happen half an hour in, then that's when you might need to sort of cut that down and say, like, you, you definitely haven't found out everything yet. Like, whatever, whatever theory you come up with now is going to be wrong. Like, yeah. <laughs> obviously, because you haven't even been to the church. Like, there's other stuff in the church. Like, you haven't yeah. found the body yet. Like. <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely like different personality types. Aren't there? I've noticed that with um, the TV series Lost. Yeah, my girlfriend Pete bravely stuck through to the end, and I, I stopped after about two or three seasons. And, I mean, the writers have admitted they don't know what's going on. They're making up season by season. They go, well, <laughs> they haven't got a grand arcing plot. They're just making it up. They're playing inspectors. That's what yeah. they're doing. But like all over the internet, and wherever else, there's people like you know arguing to the blue in the face about what the right answer is. It's like yeah. they haven't written an answer yet. There isn't a right answer. You, you none of you are right. But some <laughs> people do like that kind of just the theorizing bit. So uh, yeah, I think advice to GMs is like just kind of like gauge your table, and you might end up with some people who care about that and some people who don't. Then you might have a bit of a challenge about how you move the adventure along because some people will just talk endlessly 
And, you yeah, know, yeah. once to go back around all the NPCs they've already talked to, now they've spoken to everybody because they've got more insight now. So they'll go back and somebody speaks to the first one again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll ask, I'll ask him about this person that I've just found, like, you're doing every single link to everything. It's like, they don't have anything to say. Yeah, just... And, and I think, as well, that's the point where, like, the thing to do is to, you know, flash forward. Either say, well, you can do that, but you're not going to find anything else out. Don't be really clear about it. Just break... I know we're talking about staying in character, but just... Like, don't have them do all that again. Mm-hmm. Or you can just, if they're going to do it, just flash forward and say, right, okay, you do that. You go back to the back to the tavern. Everyone says the same. They don't know about this. They don't, and, but don't you don't have to role play it all out because Correct. other stuff is going to happen from there and get, get back to doing things that are interesting rather than just pontificating about what might be going on. Mm. Yeah, for sure. So um, another game that I haven't actually got to the table yet, we were talking about Powered by the Apocalypse, which I think this is Monster of the Week. Have you given that a go? Oh, yeah. Point? yeah. yeah. So yeah, Monster of the Week is, is sort of similar and it's one of the more structured PBTA games in that you have a mystery that's prepared and a countdown of things that happen and possible scenes and so on. It's, in some ways, it's a bit like Vaisnor Tales of the Loop without, without the arrows joining places, if you see what I mean. Right. And the countdowns are a little bit more detailed because that's sort of what drives play. Because that, yeah, that has... If I remember it correctly, it's a while since I ran it. I think it's it's a little bit more defined by the by the the, the MC by the GM. So you would have a basic idea that of what's happening and where it's going. It's not like inspectors where you're just going to like point the car in one direction. The players may take it anywhere. Like mm-hmm. you might have. I think I did one where it's like okay, it's werewolves operating out of a Chinese restaurant. I had as much as that. I had a countdown for what they're going to do. I had like stats for some like hopping vampires and stuff just to throw them off. Loads of little, um, and and then, and it did, but it did progress sort of how I expected it as they went through. But the PBTA bit comes in where how they approach problems can be really can be more player driven. How they go about gathering that information can be much more flexible because they could use magic to divine it, or they could go and find a contact and rustle up some, you know. But the actual things they found out, the breadcrumbs were pretty much set in terms of in terms of where they are. So right. it's all, I mean, what, I think what's really interesting is how much some of those PBTA games have informed, particularly like Vason and Tales of the Loop, and how much some of those principles have informed that in terms of that play with a more traditional system. Hmm. Yeah, I guess another of the, the small press games, like one of my favourites, Hot War, yeah. when I've run investigations for that as well, or there's usually an investigative element, but... I try and get people in the mindset of asking what what do you want, and I think you can you can apply that to many yeah, games as well. Yeah. Like I'll I'll go down to the tavern and see what everybody's got to say. And instead of doing that, it's like what what are you trying to get them to tell you? Like that, yeah. that's, if you can get more active stuff out of the players in terms of what they're trying to find. Uh, obviously, the players need enough in the first place to know what it is that they're trying to find out. They can't be left there just a blank screen and being told to go to a pub and find something. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one, isn't it? I remember running Hill Folk many years ago and having. Like the inciting incident was like your hill chief has been killed, and one player like going and investigating, looking for traps and for tracks and stuff, and doing all this stuff, like looking to be saying right, like where do the tracks lead? It's like well, you know, where do you want them to lead? Like it's not it's this. <laughs> this isn't. I mean, hill folk is like it's not a game about finding out who killed the chief. It's about like what happens now that you don't have a chief. Like, and do you just go to war against the tribe? How does that impact your character's like dramatic arc and stuff? But there was, it was a really weird kind of way. He was like, no but, no, but you're the GM. You must know who it is. It's like, well, it's up to you, really. But it's also not that important who it was. Like, your yes. character can also decide. And I think, I mean, looking back, that was a part, that was an issue of me not 
explaining what the setup was and that I didn't know and being really, really clear. And I'm, I, I'm now super, you know, Brindlewood Bay, I always tag it in the first like 10 minutes. I'm always like really clear. I don't know who the murderer is. That will be decided through play. Some of it by you and some of it by a dice roll. Like none of us know who it is and none of us ever will until you make that move. And then we might still not because you might roll a miss and not get them. So <laughs> I th- you really have to be up, up front about it because it is a proper cognitive dissonance for some players to be yeah. like, but what do you mean you don't know? Like what? Yeah, it can be a bit of a brain buster. I, I was going to say, I think one of the things that, that's interesting to think about investigative games is, um, and you had you had Mike on a, a few weeks ago, the Sly Flourish prep technique has the thing about having 10 secrets for each session yeah that's um, what i was just going to bring up how oh, uh it's, funny that how it's, serendipitous. Yeah. it's like it's like we've planned this or, or like we haven't at all because <laughs> just, um but yeah so that do you want to talk through how that works then <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I can't remember people can go no. back and listen to the episode yeah it's like that <laughs> But I like the idea of in um, like floating secrets. So you yeah. have like ten things that you want to give out throughout the session, but you don't necessarily nail them down. So that that, that glove in the forest might not be in the forest. It yeah. might be in someone's dresser door, or someone might drop it out of a carriage near where you are or something. But if the glove is the thing the players need to get in their hands, then you just like it's kind of Schrodinger's glove almost. That it's yeah. uh, which drawer you're looking because it's in that one. Spoilers. And if you don't look at it, then it's not. It'll be somewhere else. Yeah, and I, th- I think there's a ge- I think there's a general sort of thing about if you're, in terms of prepping investigative games, a useful technique is to think, well, what do the players need to find out to mm. make progress? And so you might have, in a more traditional game of Call of Cthulhu, you might have that, but you might think, well, what's really important, the core clue here is that they know that they all, everyone went missing when they went to that gas station. And so if they miss the clue that it's a gas station or a, you know, going in other directions, like have that piece of information appear somewhere for them. You know, uh, you, you know what the core clue is, and make make those things that that they really need to know to get forward. You know, float them and be prepared to drop them in at some point hmm. um, as a sort of prep technique, so that if they're no going nowhere near the gas station, have already written it off and done that thing where, like, when they theorised half half an hour in, they immediately decided it wasn't true and are not going to back down from it, so are never going to go to that location you might need to make it a bit more obvious to get them there and like steer them in that direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think this this ties in a little bit as we're talking about, like some players don't want to know like that yeah. they're inventing what this story is. Or yeah. like, you know, I want to know who killed the Hill Chief. I don't want like someone, like a dice roll to work it out with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, even though you change that as a gem, it's about keeping it secret as well. And I think that's how you work out with like Sly Flush's 10 secrets as well. You don't you don't make it super obvious as his clue number seven and take it by list when you give it to the players. It should come naturally. It come from like active things that they're trying to do, but it, you can easily feed that to them because if, if players are doing investigative stuff like searching a room for clues or you know interviewing a witness or something like that, that's when you can feed them this stuff, having made a role or whatever, Definitely, and, yeah. which then makes them feel like they've achieved something. Um, and they don't need to know which ones were given in what order or where they should definitely be. I think some players do like to have the idea that there's like this thing set in stone, the entire story is just there, written out, and yeah. you have to do exactly the right thing in the right sequence to get what you want. But, you know, spoilers, that's not necessarily the case. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. so it's the, the escape room model that players want, where they have to mm. do everything in the same order and do it and want that challenge. But, it, it, yeah, it's it's not actually that. That that's not fun because if you if you go down like ultimately you're not going to run a game like that because if they go down a red herring and end up doing it completely wrong like that's that could be the end of the session couldn't it that could just be yeah that's it I, I mean I, on that note I think one thing that is a personal 
one thing that I, I really struggle with at con games particularly is the bit at the end where it's the end of the game and the GM says like, oh, right, do you want to know what you missed? And goes through all this. Well, you didn't search the dresser, so you didn't find the silver key to the treasure. And actually, you didn't even get to talk to this person. And I, I, I know why there is a temptation to say, okay, here's my prep. But it always comes across as better players would have done better at this game than you did because you yeah. didn't guess what was in my head and you didn't do it. And it, and it often happens when like, you just did a good game, you just sorted it, you just you know killed the Shoggoth or whatever. And then it's like, oh, but here's what you could have won. <laughs> like, yeah, it's almost the speedboat from oh, Bullseye. I love yeah, it. Oh, yeah, great, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> just what I yeah. yeah, I think there's a couple of different people that do that sort of thing. I think some some people just like have prepped loads of stuff and want to tell you what they did because you didn't get to see yeah. the game. So they yeah. kind of want to like let you know about it. Uh, but yeah, there is a, a more negative approach. I know certainly Blythe from the Gragnar Files has had that in a, in a vampire game. He played Expo where the GM at the end was kind of like, oh, well, this is what you should have done. And went into exhaustive <laughs> lengths to tell about yeah. all the things, how they'd run the adventure wrong or something, or didn't play yeah, the characters yeah. correctly, which obviously that's bad. Don't do that at home, kids. <laughs> Like if someone explicitly asks, then maybe tell them some stuff. But even then, depending on the technique you've used, there might not have been anywhere else to go because you give them all the information as you went along. So there's not like anything they missed because you've been a good gem and written your story properly and just handed stuff out like confetti. So yeah, everybody if, has everything by the end anyway. Yeah, and your floating clues were planned to be floating clues, so you don't need to say. So it's not a case of oh, well, that was meant to be in the dresser, but you didn't find it, so I put it on that body that you found later. Like that was that was always part of your kind of thing and, and it's yeah. and it's a weird thing because you don't like you don't do it in dungeon rooms do you? you don't do it after you've played D&D you don't go well actually there was some gold coins in this room behind there there was a yeah. secret door there you didn't search for secret doors in that room you said all the other ones you did but you didn't do there so you missed that as well it's yeah. a very odd thing isn't it yeah it's, yeah, it's a really a really that strange rusty thing. knife was a magic dagger but you didn't check it you a corner <laughs> on it did you yeah if you'd read the scroll yeah I don't <laughs> I think I think it is. It comes down to prep, doesn't it? It comes down to yeah. wanting to show show that you were you were ready for it. If you see what I mean from there. Yeah, I think, I think in terms of that kind of like adapting as you go along as well. I think even with games like Fest and others that have countdowns of stuff that's going to happen, and the idea is that it'll escalate and get to the point where the bad guys win at the end if the players do yeah. nothing. But there is like an implicit assumption if you're playing a game that players will try and stop it. So it's unlikely to get there. Yeah. And the kind of counterpoint to it is like you could also think as a gem of what might go wrong. So if players are struggling or floundering, you, like part of your clue scape, for want of a better phrase, could be something that <laughs> I like it. <laughs> something that the, the bad guys do wrong or, or mess up on to then help them out. So it might be that they're coming to like the, the big ritual or the ceremony in the barn at the end or whatever. And uh, you know, the sacrifice gets out and starts running down the street and the, you know, the players are happily yeah. driving around and some of the screaming in a nightdress guy, they're trying to kill me. And then they've got like an immediate clue with you know, quite a time sensitive thing attached to it to go and do a thing. But like there's there's plenty of you could have like bungling cultists come and threaten them clumsily. And like leave behind clues, or yeah. there's like all kinds of things you can do to like I mean, help it, out the players. I mean, the, the obvious one is the sort of Elmore Leonard, like yeah, people come through the door with guns. Is that when it's floundering? Like that will always work. I mean, I, I think, I think I heard in a podcast recently that was actually Elmore Leonard was being a bit. Well, it might not even be Elmore Leonard. This might be all a disaster. But that he was being a bit critical of like pulp plots that that yeah. always happened. But it's a tried and tested technique. You know, have someone. You know, if if the players are floundering, then just have the baddies know that they're onto them and go to sort something out with them and then 
then have really obvious clues about like someone's tried to kill them they'll obviously investigate that and and then it kind of leads them to wherever it is you know it, it it's definitely it, it's the number one have that in your back pocket kind of thing for if it's all going wrong if they've spent two hours after the first half hour of finding out clues sat in the hotel room trying to guess what's going on and still have got nowhere definitely have someone kick the door in and start firing, firing a gun at them that's yeah. like <laughs> uh, the add-on for investigators again is make sure they brought a clue with them as well so like yeah, yeah, two yeah, men with guns walk in and a clue under their arm yeah he drops like... his wallet as he runs off yeah. <laughs> <laughs> completely i think i mean i think the alexandrian has this thing which is a, another good sort of um, as we're going to, into sort of generic best practice i think he has something on on his blog called the three clue rule yeah where each each important clue should be able to be found in at least three ways and that's, I suppose that's a bit what we were talking about there, but making sure you've got multiple places where it can be found and having different ways that they could discover this fact from different NPCs or from different things that were dropped and just having that really helps and, and that takes away some of the sort of, oh, what's going to happen here? I mean, I think it, it's a balancing act, isn't it? And I, I, there's been, one of the games of Vason, like one of the countdowns was that somebody got kidnapped. Um, and I was like, I was, I was sat for about half an hour just waiting for like I don't really want to kidnap one of the player characters because that's like they'll properly fight against it and they'll end up dying or my like baddies will end up dying and then that won't do it but I need someone to do it and someone they care about and like half an hour like sort of watching and waiting for and then the priest wandered off it's fine like yeah (laughs) come back he's not there oh what's happened to him you know so there is that and as you I think sometimes as you try and make your countdowns or your plots more complicated you end up with more potential choke points mm. and more that you might have to like quickly quickly you know turn the wheels as fast as you can to get something to happen so it's worth doing that which is why i think investigative snow is really benefit from having really clear gm advice as well like being having a bit of that you know that outside the box not just the stuff right if you're running this and this happens try this yeah you know yeah, breaking yeah, character and saying right what happens if they don't find this clue? Like, have a little box that says, well, this could happen or this could happen, and give some support to the GM so they've got mm. an idea of what could happen. Yeah. And, and this is the sort of stuff that we've given, like, me and Baz given to other, other GMs as well, just, like, generically on on things about, yeah. like, what to happen in certain situations or what to do. I think you need... Um, you know, you, I don't know what it is, but, like, yeah, it's definitely investigative GMs need that extra support, I think, that, yeah. that yeah. a D&D adventure doesn't seem to. But there just tends to be more opportunity for stalling. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to like wrap my brains now, thinking what other player advice there might be, like how to be a better player at invest- investigations. That probably just comes down to like stop dirdling <laughs> to a degree, or like, you know, like because yeah. time will get eaten up quite easily. Like you probably don't realise as a bunch of players that once you start theorising on stuff, you know, happily half an hour will disappear while you're all just yeah, pointing at different yeah. things and drawing stuff on a map you've made and. You know, talking about different characters and arguing with each other, so it's probably just worth being present in the moment uh, and keeping one eye on the GM and see if they're getting a bit antsy and shuffling the feet. And they I probably have more plot to give you and more clues to give you. So, like, don't get too hung up on things. Probably is one one piece of advice. Yeah, go around and follow the plot. I, I mean, I think another good one for for investigative games is to be prepared to split the party. Mm. That really helps to pace it and really helps you to get lots of information, and it avoids the thing that is the kind of classic Call of Cthulhu thing, isn't it? Where there's a little old lady who might know something. So, like, 
six 1920s investigators come around mob handed and knocking with shotguns yeah. feels yeah 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 all yeah all armed apart from like the yeah all clearly tilled up for it it's a bit weird isn't it like mm. maybe two people could do that and because generally investigative games you're not going to have it's not like you're going to wander around and meet a, a, a challenge rating six monster because you're six level so you need to all be together and stuff you know do that thing when you get into an area to explore like split up into different pairs that also helps i think with the role playing not not puzzle solving because yeah. if you're in a pair with another player you can interact with them as well as interact with the person that you're that, that you're the, or the thing that you're investigating if you're looking at a crime scene there's two of you you can do a bit of role play in that as well um so yeah split up so you can do go after stuff and split up to do it as well yeah no that's that's definitely fair yeah i mean that helps as well with like keeping the action around various people doesn't it because otherwise it, it, yeah. it can fall into like who's got the best persuade skill and that one character tends to do all the talking <laughs> and then there's no opportunity for anybody else to get lucky which can be a bit weird yeah i mean it's what's nice in the basin is that because you have been like very deliberately splitting off into different pairs we get things like the sort of really urbane young writer ends up at the tavern talking to these like roughneck miners trying to come trying try to like gather folk tales and it never goes quite that well for it you know it's nice to not have to not just be kind of a clue generating machine have some room for some failure as well and we yeah. all know that that could happen and that does I, I suppose the other player advice that's just occurred to me is just like avoid the dynamite like there is that thing and i, I don't think you see it recently as much but certainly when i when i was younger and playing Call of Duty, there was a, a, a thing wasn't there that you found out where the cult was bought loads of explosives and just whenever they summoned whatever it was just blew it up and that would be you know don't just read the room the gm probably hasn't planned that like that would be bad play in any other game to like just bring the explosives out or get the national guard in just just don't do that like play along a little bit and realize yeah. You know, this is going to be a, a difficult situation, and a lot of investigative games are in a sort of horror genre. So lean into that and be prepared to fail a bit. Be prepared to get beaten up and kidnapped and see horrible things. Don't be like, right, we're going to win and we're going to win big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, play to the tropes for sure. And I think there's yeah. there can be a little element. Um, I don't know why it seems to happen at convention cathedral games more than any other, but people try and like rush to be dead or mad. And it's like you, you don't have to like obviously don't turtle up and refuse to engage with anything in the scenario, but equally you don't have to like throw yourselves into the arm of a dark rogue younger Shubnigarath as soon as it appears. Yeah. You're like there's a middle ground somewhere where you're trying to play a character and uh you engage with the plot but don't try to just die all the time. <laughs> so Yeah. Because yeah. it's really difficult if one player's doing that and other players aren't. In the same way that if you've got two players that want to just pontificate and try and solve it without talking to anyone and the other two players that want to go and do stuff it, it's that play culture thing isn't it and i suppose it's mm. so at conventions it's about having those discussions at the start being really explicit about what's expected and what's going to happen um and being like, like i've said a few times being prepared to like break character and break the wall and be like as a gm there's nothing to find here carry on and do it and and it might be that people are turtling. I remember playing a few years ago, playing in a, a, a Cthulhu game you were running, Gaz, that was great fun, but we had about half an hour. We weren't even trying to solve clues. We were just being Roman legionaries and doing Dad's Army and stuff. And it was great fun. We were having a brilliant time. It was obviously a Saturday evening game. Yeah. Like, you know, it was... And I remember you just saying, right, guys, there's, there's like an hour left. Like, you, you need to actually do some 
play. I'm like, oh, okay, actually, let's stop just being our characters having a nice time <laughs> and actually follow the plot for a bit. Like, you know, let's do both things. But yeah. I think it's it's important that you're prepared as a GM sometimes to just stop and say, actually, this is this is sort of where we are. This is what's going on. Like, don't feel like you have to do that in character or, or make that mm, happen yeah. through the world. You know, you're running the game when you call for a break so people can like go to the bathroom. You don't do that as the keeper of arcane mysteries or whatever it's called. You do that as the person who's running the game, as the person in the real world. So, so be prepared to address people's like timing and pace and comfort and enjoyment. Yeah. Out of character as well. Yeah, yeah. No, all good. That, that was the bit of advice I was going to mention actually earlier. I, I lost my track and went off on a different um, spur. But yes, the the sort of uh, summarizing bit, which can happen in all games, but I think particularly investigating game works well, is just to kind of like get everybody together and go like, right, guys, this is what you know. Yeah. This is what you yeah. found out. These are the, these are like the leads that you haven't investigated yet. And like you can do that if you do that around a break as well, that it doesn't feel quite so much like you're breaking the fourth wall. Because you let people have a break, and when they come back, it's just kind of like I oh, just to remind everybody, refresh everybody's memories. This is kind of like what's going on, and yeah. that gives you that opportunity out of character just to like that make it clear what the options are on the table at the minute. Yeah, because I think it's really easy when you're playing to miss those as well. I've been in that situation where after a break, the GM said, "Right, just remind you, you've been to this place. You haven't been to the church yet, and if you remember that had." like all that really spooky stuff around it like oh yeah the church but because we you just get down a train of thought where you're looking at other stuff so maybe we better go you know you can flag it as, as a place of interest and drive people towards there really definitely right well we've we've had a breakneck rush through investigations <laughs> as all investigative scenarios should be uh, other opinions do exist uh, feel free to have wrong opinions if you want that I know is but um, yeah if you if you do like just like game leaflets and sheets and newspapers and all kinds of papers to leaf through as a player and spend eight hours doing that as I know some people do well good luck to you but hopefully uh, what we've mentioned might give you an alternative approach as well to get more bang for your book um, any final thoughts Guy before we wrap up for the evening no I think I think we've covered everything I mean I, I feel like we've covered loads loads of of quite specific GM advice and I think part of it is that investigative scenarios are quite hard to run hmm. like the, the thread coming through it all is that there's lots that can go wrong and so I think I think if someone's like new to the hobby and thinking they're going to DM something straight away like do it without having a big mystery to investigate as well like maybe start yeah. start with the dungeon start with something where it's just you know a, a few fights and a little thread between them um, because even the even with like I've said, Vason, really well supported, really good. The published adventures have got really good flavor in them and lots of all the techniques are there to make it easy to run. It, it's still a challenge for me. It's still harder in terms of prep and in terms of in the game than when I was running, say, Shadow of the Demon Lord and like you were just running around a town killing demons. Like it, 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 is, it is a challenge and, and part of it is just getting better at it. You know, it, yeah. there's a lot of advice we've done. You might not do it all, but pick some and have a go and see how it goes really yeah like anything takes a bit of practice my, my sort Definitely. of like headline piece of advice would be make it simpler at any point yeah. just make it more obvious or more direct or get people to where they need to be sooner complexity will come on its own from the players and, and I say that as a player myself as well sometimes it is really easy to like imagine other things that might be involved or create your own ideas of what's going on so yeah, if, yeah. if you are struggling as a DM like just simplify it as much as you can and make it really obvious where to go next Definitely, definitely. Okay, well, thanks for coming on, Guy, and being our stunt buzz for the evening. We shall direct people across in the show notes to the Burn After Running blog where you can get uh, more excellent convention running advice and other articles. 
and uh, we shall see you next time on What Would the Smart Party Do? Cheers.